Well, this morning we are going to be continuing our journey through the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be reading through verses 19 through the end of the chapter. That will be our focus this morning, but I'm going to start in verse 18. So again, this is going to be Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 18 through 22, that's page 1,242 if you're following along in the Pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. For through him, that is Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us go before him in prayer as we begin our text. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us out from darkness, from taking us to be strangers and aliens to being fellow saints with you. Lord, I pray that as we walk through this text together that you would reveal to our minds and hearts all that we have to learn from it. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. And it's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. We in this room know what it's like to be in the majority. If you have an American passport, you can get into just about anywhere in the world. There are very few places that you could take that passport to that they will tell you no. We are quite used to acceptance. We're accustomed to it. We expect admittance. I'm an American. Who wouldn't want my tourist dollars, we could say. But when it comes to going before God, before Jesus came, there would be a very important place that your American passport would not allow you in. That would be the temple, the place where God was met with and worshipped. In fact, if you remember from last week, Parker talking about there being a dividing wall. Gentiles, that would be anybody who was not a Jewish person, could be behind the wall, but they couldn't go to the other side to where God was being worshipped. In fact, it was written up in no uncertain terms that if you were to trespass that boundary, the only thing awaiting for you was death. This is the reality that Gentiles lived in. And that is the, gen- and that is the reality that we would have lived in had we lived at that time. That is, until Christ has come. So what we're going to explore today is what Jesus has done to make our acceptance, our reception into the household of God possible, how he's done it, and why he's done it. So we're going to look at those three things. So let's start with what God has done. What has God changed? Well, he has changed having the Gentiles being included in the people of God. Let's take a look at Verse 18, which is the summary of what he is going to tell us. 
For through him, that is Jesus, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is earth shattering for the people at this time. Note the words that are being used here in verse 19. So then you, that would be to us, the Gentiles, are no longer strangers and aliens. If we could put it another way, we could put it foreigners and resident aliens. Actually, one of those words there literally means beside the house. We're not inside the house, we are outside the house. Resident aliens at that time would have had some rights, but there were things that you, was, that you decidedly couldn't participate in. As a Gentile, you could not approach the Passover table. You were not allowed there. You were not allowed on the other side of the wall to the temple. You were to be treated nicely. You had legal rights, but nothing like that. Not an acceptance into the temple. And while there would have been legal protections, there was still quite a bit of social stigma we can see this today if you have ever traveled in a country not your own. They're happy to take your tourist dollars, but they will scowl at you when you don't know how the bus works. There is a social alienation that takes place because you are not part of this people. And that's the way that it was for Jews and Gentiles. You weren't even allowed, as a Jewish person, you weren't allowed to even eat with Gentile people. Lest you be defiled. We even see this is so ingrained, even the apostle Peter takes a step back. When he was eating with Gentile people and he saw other Jewish folks coming into the room, he backed away from the table because he knew that was socially unacceptable. So ingrained was this in his mind. But now, post-Christ, now Gentiles are fellow citizens. They have full rights, full acceptance into the people of God. And notice also how he phrases this. That we are fellow citizens with the, we would expect, Jewish people. Because that's been the people of God for the last 2,000 years. But it turns out it says that we are fellow citizens with the saints. Everybody has a new identity. The Gentiles haven't become Jewish people. The Gentiles and the Jews have become Christians. They have become saints, followers of Christ, a brand new identity for both. They are now in equal footing in God's economy. Yes, the Jews have been God's people from the beginning, but that doesn't give them an inside track. There's no second tier. They receive the same reward as Gentiles do. You can see how Jesus has even illustrated that in one of his famous parables where he talks about a master who needed his field harvested. And he went out at the start of the day at six in the morning and found people in the square and said, come, please work my field and I will give you a day's pay. But he goes back out again at noon and at three o'clock and at five o'clock, the last hour of the day, getting more people to come out into the field. And those who had been from the start, they expected they would get more. They said, hey, if those who have only been working for an hour are going to get a day's pay, surely we'll get more. And then when they come to receive their payment, a day's wage is plopped in their hand, just like they had agreed to. 
The master was not obligated to pay those who had to pay more than what he had already said he would. And in the same way, we, the Gentiles, have been latecomers to the party. God has brought us in at the last hour, but we have been given the same reward. That shows just the incredible generosity of our God who is taking in those who would have been strangers and aliens far away, alienated from the promises of God and has brought them in and given them full rights. And then as we get to the last part of verse 19, Paul shifts the metaphor. He turns it away from citizenship and turns it to the family. We see this greater intimacy that's being talked about here. It's wonderful to be a citizen and to have social acceptance among the politic. But it's another thing to be brought into a family. There's a greater intimacy and a greater love there. And Paul is sure not to miss that and brings that in for us. He says that we are now members of the household of God. We're family. Where God is our generous father and we are the siblings for each other. Now, the wonderful thing is, is this is not an afterthought. This is not something that God had said, hey, you know what? Wouldn't it be nice if we also included the Gentiles in this? This was actually the plan from the beginning. Paul points this out in Romans 9.25. He is citing an Old Testament prophet, Hosea. Or Paul says, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. God doesn't have favorite children. He doesn't elevate certain groups of people above another. There isn't a type of person that is more necessary or more important to the church to have than another. We are all sons, all children in his household. But how is this possible? We see what he has done. He has brought Gentiles in to have the same footing in God's economy that the Jewish people have. But how is this possible? How can you blend such a family together? How can we who were once aliens, a word that, as I said earlier, literally means beside the house, come to be in the house? Well, that house, that foundation has to be built on something pretty important. And we find out just what that is. As we turn now into verse 20. It says that this household of God was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, the apostles and prophets that he's referring to here are those who are spreading the gospel in the New Testament era. These are people that have been bringing the unique news that Jesus has come and has died and has brought the Gentiles in. And that's an important part of the foundation. But Paul makes extra sure in the way that he phrases this that Christ is the most important. Because he refers to him as the cornerstone. Now the cornerstone, the word that is used there, is actually very rare in the language that it's being used. In fact, it only shows up in Ephesians here and almost nowhere else. Except one passage in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, of course, but was translated into Greek as well. 
And there is a passage in Isaiah 28, 16, where it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. So way back in Isaiah, 700 years prior to Jesus' coming, it is prophesied that he will be laid down as the foundation. Now, what is a cornerstone exactly? The cornerstone would have been the largest piece of the foundation, usually would have been put in the, in the furthest corner, and it would have been the determining stone for everything else in the building. The walls would have been tied to that one. The greatest amount of weight would have been shouldered by this stone, and it would have been the guide for all the rest of the foundation stones laid for the building. So Jesus is the most important stone in this building. And that's the only way that this thing could stand, is that it's built on Christ. And it's thanks to these prophecies we can know that we're not an afterthought. God has brought us into his covenant people and has been faithful to his promises. Here we are. Just by us being a part of this family has shown that God is faithful. Our first experience with God is his promises are kept. And we know that he never breaks his promises. Even promises that are centuries in the making, he holds them. He is a faithful God. And it's only possible through Christ. There is a marvelous passage in Luke, and we see this, and we read this every communion. Jesus is sitting at the Passover table, a table that Gentiles couldn't approach, remember. And at one point, he takes the cup. He holds up the cup and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And when he takes that cup and holds that cup up, when he puts that cup back down, that table is now opened. Because that cup is going to represent the blood that he's going to spill for the nations. That cup symbolizing his sacrifice, his atoning death, to pay for the sins that all the lambs in the world couldn't cover. He wipes away and ushers in a new covenant that only the death of the Son of God could bring in. And because of that, and because he has risen again from the tomb, the new covenant is sealed. The promise made at the table was delivered, and we have been brought in. Now, this has been pretty wonderful. We as a people who would have been pushed away have been brought near. Those who would have been foreigners are now family. But why? Why would God do this? And this is where it gets even more amazing. God is doing even more work than fulfilling prophecies. But he's building something. Let's see what it is that he's building. In verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He is building his church, 
a place where he will dwell in. No longer is God to dwell thousands of miles away in a temple in Jerusalem. But he is to dwell in the hearts of his people wherever they're found. In the local churches all over the country, right here. God lives amongst his people and is building us together. And he is he's fitting us together so perfectly like a craftsman would. Something, like, something that is being hand-stitched together. In fact, the word that he is using here, joined together, this is a word that Paul actually has coined. This doesn't show up anywhere else until the second century to show how precisely everything is being built together. This isn't an accident that we're all being brought together into this church. We all have a place to fit. I was reading an article this week that was talking about that we should, we sometimes we can feel like we don't fit into a particular church. Maybe there's too much of an age gap or too much of a background gap or whatever kind of differences we might like to draw. So the temptation is in our American consumerism is to go and find a place where we fit, where we feel more comfortable. And the point that the article writer was making is that we're all brought together. What we might see is all these differences together God sees as a mosaic. Yes, there might be that one blue tile in the midst of all of the rest of these other tiles, but that tile is supposed to represent the eye. Everything God has brought together, he's brought together for a reason, and we have something to bring to it. Each of us who are in our different stages of life have ways that we can enrich the spiritual lives of each other. There's no outcast here. But we have been brought in. And the wonderful thing is that this building is still under construction. God is still adding more and more people, joining them together with everybody else, and is building this wonderful structure that one day, at the end of it all, when we are all in heaven, that God dwells with us face to face. And in the meantime, he dwells with us by his spirit, it says in, in the text, and lives in our hearts. So what does that mean for us now? Where does that take us? What are we supposed to do with this kind of information? Well, for those of us who have been brought in to this covenant, this should motivate us to go out and find others, the foreigner, the outcasts, and to bring them in as well. Because we were once such people. And now we have been brought in, so we should go out and bring others in so that they can see and be joined together with this temple, so that they can have the Holy Spirit dwelling in their hearts. And then it's a temple that's being made holy. That by going out, reaching out, bringing others in, that our lives will reflect what a transformed soul looks like. A God who lives and dwells inside of us is going to have an impact. And for us to go and to show that. Now people don't have to come to a temple in Jerusalem to see God's people or to see and meet with God. But they can come and they can see you in your workplace, on your football team, in your classroom, in your band room. God lives inside of you and beckons all of those around you 
to be brought in. So what is our takeaway from this passage? Our takeaway would be, we who were far off have been made into God's house so that we may reach out to others who are far off so that God might dwell with us all together. I'll say that again. We who were far off have been made into God's house so that we might reach out to others who are far off so that God might dwell with us all together. This is an enormous privilege that we have to be part of God's house and to reach out to others who are far off. Let us not forget that. Let's not just move past that, to cease being amazed by that. We've been brought in. We're part of the family. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us into your house. Lord, we can't express how little we deserve that. But Lord, you are so merciful, so kind, and so sovereign to bring us all in. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten our hearts to go and find those who are out so that they may be brought in. Lord, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.